uh, we're back. It's the Coffee and Anti-Racism podcast. My name is Rebecca Hemmings. I'm the host and I'm also the founding director uh, and CEO of Strawberry Words Training Consultancy. And we talk all things anti-racism here, okay, particularly for organizations. And I'm really pleased to have a guest today. Uh, Diana Farias Heinrich is joining me today uh, from Habra Marketing. And Often, you know, when we're having conversations with organizations, what we hear about is not knowing how to reach ethnic minority audiences, um, not being clear on how they communicate with them. And so Diana and I have had a conversation and, and we're just going to talk through this, right? We're just going to talk through what some of the best ways of, of doing that are and just various techniques that you use. So firstly, can I say hi and welcome? Thank you, Rebecca. It's so good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Now, well, firstly, tell everybody where you're joining us from, because you're not from the UK. No, I am calling in from Southern California in the United States, um, right where I grew up, actually. Yeah. And so how we connected, just for those who are listening, know, um, is we both attended the uh, a conference run by a business growth conference run by Rachel Rogers, who I, you know, I really love her ethos. And I think that's what connects a lot of people who follow her work is this idea of, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, as a marginalized person, you can um, you can grow, you can be successful um, in your business, in life and so on. And so I think that's, it's through those values that we've connected. So Diana, tell me, tell me more about Habra Marketing. What is the ethos of the company and how long have you been running it? So I started uh, Abra Marketing in 2021. I want to stop you for a minute because you gave me a different pronunciation there and I want to make sure I get that right. So Abra. Oh, Abra. Abra. Okay. Where's Abra. that name from? In, in Spanish, it means there will be. Okay. It's also the name of the city that I'm in. <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning. And, and, and here's what I believe is that there will always be marketing and whether you do it with intention or without intention is up to you, but I definitely suggest doing it with intention. Absolutely. Um, and so that's where the name of, of my company came from. And I started it back in uh, 2021 um, in the midst of the pandemic. I ended up getting laid off of my job from nonprofit marketing and communications, mm. but I knew that I wasn't done. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to keep being involved with nonprofit. I keep wanted to keep, kept wanting to do the work of marketing and communications for these organizations that were doing good things in the world mm. and so um I I turned that into into a business um I became an entrepreneur and so now what I'm doing is helping lots of different uh nonprofit organizations or not-for-profit organizations with their marketing and their communication strategy and helping them move their business forward Fantastic. And so, you know, I'm going to jump straight in because when we initially spoke, you told me the story of how you came to instill the informed consent practice. And I didn't know what that was. And so, you know, please, uh, again, usually when we're having these conversations, I try not to go too deep into them because I want it to remain fresh. So mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, pretend we didn't have that conversation. You know, you got what is what is that? And how did you come to um, use it as some as a staple in your business? Right. So uh, informed consent practice is really the underlying foundation of how I work, how I do marketing, how I do communications, mm -hmm. um, especially in working with nonprofits. And what happened, and I'll get into what it is um, as soon as I tell you what happened. So 
In the early days of my work um, in, in nonprofit communications, one of my very first assignments was to write up and publish stories about 10 young women who had uh, won scholarships from the organization that I was working for. And so this was an awesome assignment. Um, I love to write. I love especially writing about like these young women who were just so inspirational. You know, not only were they finishing their, their education, but they were also, you know, up against a lot of barriers and they were moms. And so, you know, everything just became 10 times harder for them. And so it felt really good to write up their stories. I did, you know, everything that I was supposed to do as a marketer, which was to publish them wherever I could, social media, the website, um, email campaigns, all of that. Mm. And the campaign did really, really well. Um, people were engaging online, congratulating the winners. They signed up for the subsequent fundraising event. Mm. Um, you know, they were giving donations. All of the things that we expected to happen from that campaign happened. The thing so, was, going to mark that. So, what you you had this great intention. You follow protocol. This is what you normally do, and yeah. And at this point, everything's going as planned. Yes. And then at this point, everything is going as planned, and so I moved on to the next campaign. Mm. A couple of weeks after, I just overheard in in passing from one of the direct program staff. So I I heard a name of one of the young women mm. that I had written about. And I said, and it piqued my curiosity and I said, hey, what happened? Mm. And so that I found out that this young woman had been involved in a domestic violence situation and her ex was being let out of jail. Wow. And so I'm also certified as an advocate of uh, survivors of domestic violence. And mm -hmm. so immediately I knew that everything that I had posted online about this young woman mm -hmm. could lead the abuser back to her. Right. And, you know, her the, everything was out there. Her first name, last name, her kid's name, the location of the program that she was in, you know, like all of those things are things that not only could put um, her in harm's way. But if if, you know, this this person, this abuser, you know, decided to come and look for her, could also put other people in the organization mm -hmm. in harm's way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, I it was just like this, the way that I described like this feeling when I realized this was just this kind of black pit right at the bottom of my rib cage. Yeah. It just felt so, so terrible. So I mean, yeah, because if something happened to her, I can imagine you might feel a sense of responsibility for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, you know, I did what I could in the moment, which was to go back to my computer and comb through weeks and weeks and weeks of social wow. media posts and yeah. to take down what I could. But here's what I always tell my clients is, once something is out there, it's mm -hmm. out there. You can't mm -hmm. take it all back. Mm -hmm. um, you can delete what you can, but you can't stop, you know, especially if you're sharing publicly, you can't stop yeah. people from sharing that and you yeah. can't track all of that down. Right. Um, and, and people so, have good memories as well. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, that all just, I, I thought there's got to be a better way. Mm. There has to be a better way. We have to do this differently. I should have known that this was happening mm -hmm. um, so that I could do, do it differently in the first place, not put her information out there, you know, figure out a way around it. Mm -hmm. uh, because there was also this, this pressure of having to, you know, prove the work of the organization, but at what cost, Yeah, um, yeah. you know, so there was a lack of information. There was that pressure yeah. of getting the campaign out there, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And so 
you know, in, in thinking about this, I came across something, an article that a colleague of mine shared, which is called The Practicalities of Informed Consent and Development Photography. And it's mm-hmm. published by Save the Children. And the author is uh, Nabila Idris. Mm-hmm. And in it, she talks about um, how how to approach um, you know, the, the service, the recipients of services from nonprofits mm-hmm. when you're either providing services or doing anything related to their photography, using, using their pictures, using their stories in, in campaigns and in fundraisers and things. Mm-hmm. And she gives a really great explanation of, of what to do and how to approach them. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I took that and I applied, I applied it and I meshed it and I, you know, massaged it into a best practice for the organization that I worked in. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I call it an informed consent practice because it's not just a one-time thing. It's not a single conversation that you can, that you need to have. It really needs to become part of the organization's culture. Right. Right. And, you know, I, and the reason why my ears kind of um, perked up when you spoke about this is because particularly during um, the pandemic where we had the Black Lives Matter movement there were lots of organizations that you know will put their black squares on social media in support of the Black Lives Matter movement or they would put statements up around um, you know su- the, you know supporting our black colleagues and anti-racism and all that sort of stuff um, and many organizations got backlash because of that mm-hmm. and I thought I'm not sure if it's quite the same thing but I feel like it's similar in that because those black employees were not consulted they didn't they clearly weren't using a form of informed consent practice mm-hmm. um but they were kind of just going off what they felt they knew and felt was the right thing which of, which was kind of a knee-jerk reaction and right. that led to many consequences Hey, I know you're enjoying the podcast episode, but I just want to quickly come in and say, look, if you're an organization that needs anti-racism training for your organization because your staff are lacking in a racial literacy, they don't have the words, they get stuck when talking about racism, they want to be able to deal with incidents, but they're not sure how to, then check out our Time to Talk About Race online CPD accredited course at strawberrywords.co.uk. Okay, we can train from 10 to 10,000. But get in touch today at admin at strawberrywords.co.uk. Now back to the episode. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, no, well, I was just thinking um, during that time, you know, I remember, especially, you know, being on active on social media on behalf of the organization, that inclination to, you know, put up the black squares and all of that. But as I'm do as I'm going online, you know, I'm going into the, you know, like my personal accounts and things like that. And I'm seeing the debate of like, you know, if you're putting up the black square, you're not actually engaging in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I ended up doing as part of that organization that I worked in was, was drafting an email. And the reason I chose to go the email route rather than, you know, the, the social media route is that in email, you can have more of a conversation mm-hmm. with people because you're really, you know, you're not limited by characters or an image. Yeah. It's really, you're, you're in somebody's, you know, personal space, you're in their personal mm-hmm. inbox. Mm-hmm. And so you can be really real. And one of the things that, you know, I stressed with my colleagues was we have to be really real about this. Yeah. We can't sugarcoat what we're saying because we might, 
um, you know, rub some of our wealthy white donors the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was that tendency and I, and I don't think it's, you know, just, I think it's a lot of different nonprofits who have this tendency to want to appease their wealthy white donors. And so they might sugarcoat their words. Yeah. And I thought this is not what we need right now. And luckily I had a very supportive group of colleagues. And so we, we ended up crafting something that we felt really spoke to the moment and, and mm-hmm. it ended up being really well-received. Great. Great. And, and by well-received, I mean, people actually, you know, wrote back and engaged yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. Because I mean, with a, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's so many questions and so many directions I could take this, but I'll, I'll stick to my script because um, I want to ask you some more questions. So, sure. you know, so going back to this informed consent practice, why, um, why is it important for companies to get informed consent when putting out promotional material concerning ethnic minorities? Well, it's important. I mean, just in the in the story that I that I was saying earlier, um, especially if you're using stories about people that are involved with your organization, mm. you don't want to surprise them. One. No. Um, you don't you don't want to end up putting a Facebook ad out there with their picture on it mm-hmm. and a quote from them. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they find out about it from their partner or, yeah. you know, their their teacher or their classmate or whoever it might yeah. be. Yeah. You don't want to surprise them. That's not fair. Yeah. Um, and also, it can come across as performative allyship. Exactly. Uh, particularly if that's not a reflective of what the organization looks like. Yes. And the the second thing is, too, is um, one of the opportunities of informed consent, because it's not just about, you know, doing the the ethical thing. It's also about including people in the conversation Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. So if you're trying to reach more ethnic minorities, having an informed consent conversation allows you to tell them about what what the purpose of the campaign is. Yeah. Um, in in my informed conversations guide, I talk about telling somebody what your plans are for the campaign so they have a full understanding of what you're doing. And part of that is the purpose, trying to attract, you know, ethnic ethnic minorities for, you know, XYZ service that we've developed that we think, you know, could really benefit them type of a thing. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a part of that as being you know, a face of this campaign or as being someone who provides a quote or something like that, you really turn the story around for them instead of using them. They're a part of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. You know, um, because I think what something like that does or an approach like that does is it helps to build trust. You know, there's the element of honesty. Look, we realize we've got an issue. We need to attract more, attract more ethnic mm-hmm. minorities, for instance. Um, and we very much want you to be a part of the journey, but you don't have to. You know, again, yeah. I think having that choice is really important. But then, if they choose to be a part of that journey, um, they they have a say in how things are going forward. Mm-hmm. They're empowered by by doing that, and also I think that's useful. Um, that's almost like a form of consultation. It's a, it's a, it's incredibly useful data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, as from a, a marketing perspective, I, and that's one of the other things is, you know, if you're not talking to the people that you want to reach, how can you possibly know what they actually want or need? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, um, that brings me nicely to the next question because it is around, you know, again, we constantly get this question, how can we attract more ethnic minorities? And we have lots of our own ideas, but um, again, based on research, but it'd be interesting from your point of view, what, how would you answer that for an organization? How do we attract more ethnic minorities? Let's say in a recruitment context, where do they start yeah. with them? Absolutely. I mean, first off, it's to get really clear on what you're offering them. And then, you know, the main prescription, again, of informed consent conversations asking what what do they need? What do they think about what you have to offer? Mm. Um, you know, because you might have developed something that you think is fantastic, but it's not going to meet their needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so can I, I say again, just for the yeah. organizations that are, are tuning into this. So that's whether you're talking about attracting audiences, whether you're looking at attracting people to your programs whether you're looking at recruiting ethnic minorities, this still applies. You still this need still to, applies. Yeah, mm -hmm. because they need to know what, essentially we want to know what's in it for me, whatever you're going want to engage in, you know, what's in this performance for me, what's in working with this organization for me, it, all of that. Mm -hmm. So carry on, carry on. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and one of the ways that you might do that is to invite people for a coffee chat. You might want to invite them on a panel you might want to tell them that their opinion is really important and it's going to inform your campaign. And can I add, pay them for their time? Yes, yes. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's, um, you know, I talk to people about this. I talk to, you know, especially not-for-profit organizations about um, com compensation. And it's a debate. Yeah. It's a debate about whether or not to do it, whether it's ethical to do it or not ethical to do it. And I've heard arguments from every which direction of, yes, you need to compensate your people because they're taking time out of their day. Um, and depending on who it is that you're trying to reach with eth which ethnic minorities, that time might be incredibly valuable and scarce for them. Absolutely. And what are they getting in return? Yeah. And, you know, we're in this cost of living crisis for one. In the UK, uh, ethnic minorities are 75 percent of ethnic minorities come from a working class background. So they don't, they don't have lots of money. So, you mm -hmm. know, to be to to be paid for their time is huge. Whereas somebody who for whom I don't know, like a 50 pound um, compensation fee might not be much for them. That could mean, you know, a pair of shoes, a couple pair of shoes or whatever it might be to that person, right. you know, or partially mm -hmm. paying a bill. It means a lot. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I know in working with the with you know the young women that were in high school that their their time was like was like strict. You know, these young women they were getting up at four or five a.m. to get on the bus to get to school to then you know have to pick up their their kid from their from their daycare. Yeah. Um, you know, at a very specific time or lose their spot in their daycare. Like they yeah. they just had all of these other pressures. Yes. And for them to take, you know, what what I was asking them for, which was, can you take an hour or two hours to, you know, film some videos with me or, you know, um, you know, come to this event and and so on and forth so forth, you know, in talking with them and asking them what their schedules and availabilities and what pressures they were under, you know, only then in, in engaging with them, did I understand, mm -hmm. you know, the extent of what I was asking. Yeah. And so because of that, we were able to develop, you know, a, a fair compensation for their work, because at the end of the day, this, that is work and people yeah. get paid for it all the time. Why yeah. not them? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, again, there's so many places I could take this, but I'm going to bring it back down and, and just ask you with regards to that promotional piece. Okay. So we've tapped into, you know, their interest and, and why they might be interested in whatever the company's offering, but in terms of how you communicate that, how organizations communicate that, what do they need to think about in terms of language, the terminology or how they phrase um, communications? Well, uh, I, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but at the same time, it's, you have to ask, mm. um, and I'll give you a, a, an example of this. So, you know, these young women that I worked with, I, I say young women very intentionally mm. because here in the States, um, the word teen mom has a very negative connotation. Um, it, it immediately invites judgment. Yeah. Um, it immediately invites opinions about her life about the way that she is or was, um, you know, so far as to say, you're, you know, you're going to be a bad mom or, you know, um, you've ruined your life or, you know, just, it was, yeah. it's just like a no win situation yeah. when you put the words teen mom out there. And there's no there's, mention of the, the, the father and his involvement is all right. Exactly. No, there's, just, even go there. uh, there's so much there. And then the other thing is too, just another example related is that there's actually a show um here in the states called um there's one that's called 16 and pregnant um and there's another one called teen moms i think and you know the representation of the lives of the of those young women in in that show is nothing to do is not reflective of the young women that we were working with in our programs and so one of the very first things that i did was have a conference with some of those young women and their advocates, you know, their, their, um, their program managers and to say, what would be better? Yeah. And in that conversation, we discovered that they prefer to be called young moms, mm. that they prefer, prefer to be addressed as young women. Yeah. And so that ended up being a complete, you know, um, uh, language shift yes. for the organization. And it's funny because it brings on pushback because people say, but if you say that, then people aren't going to understand that they're teenagers and they're moms, yeah. but there's other ways to say that, Absolutely. right? A young mom in yeah. high school, yeah. you know, for instance. Yeah. So, I, I, mean, I, I love that because that, that speaks to so much around terminology. Again, I'm translating this to the area of race. You know, here we have the phrase that the government or the acronym that the government's trying to phase out, BAME, Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. And no, not many people like that phrase. So, you know, just by asks a simple act of asking, what is the mm -hmm. preference? You know, right. what would you prefer? Oh my gosh. You know, already you're hearing the voices of those people you don't normally hear. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm bringing this down. So I, I'm going to ask you just one more question before, well, my one, it's my penultimate question. And that's if people want to find out more about Abra marketing and what you do and want to get in contact, what's the best way? Oh, absolutely. So you can definitely um, email me if you have any inquiries. My email is diana at abramarketing.com. And you can find me. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, active on LinkedIn. And then if you want to download my um, informed consent conversations guide, which will really give you a step-by-step -step on what to do and how to have these conversations, um, it's at abramarketing.com slash informed consent conversation. Great. And we'll have that all also on the podcast episode uh, in writing on the website. So the strawberrywords.co.uk website. So it'll all be there as well. So just the, my final question, 
What is the one piece of advice above all else that you would give to organizations who want to market to attract racially marginalized people? Okay, so if there was just one thing you could say to them, what would that be? I would say to have conversations and don't assume that you know what people want or need. You have to stay humble in the fact that you don't know anyone else's lived experience. And if you approach someone from a place of humility, then you're really going to open the door for them to tell their most authentic stories and to share their most honest opinions with you. Yes to all of that, Diana. Thank <laughs> you so much for your honesty. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Thank you for having the heart to do this work. Um, you know, I, I already know through just our conversations that you're making the difference. And a lot of organizations want to know how to reach, you know, marginalized groups, regardless of, you know, ethnicity. And I think you're doing that really well. So just to say thank you and to wish, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate you and your podcast and everything. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you.